All right. There we go. Final episode of the year for In the Clinch. We've got a big New Year show for you. Um, we're going to recap, give our, our own personal accolades for the year, fighter of the year, KO of the year, all that good stuff. Um, and right off the top of the show, uh, first off, let me introduce my co-host here, Theo, International Man of History. Say hello to the people. What's going on, John? It's great to be back on the final episode, not only of 2021, but of the In the Clinch era. Do you want to tell them yeah. all about that? Yeah, final episode of In the Clinch. Don't worry. Podcast isn't going anywhere. We're just changing the name. Uh, we're going solo. Uh, yeah, so this will be the final In the Clinch episode. Uh, we will be moving over to our own platform. or It'll still be on Spotify. Uh, it'll still be on Apple. Uh, I think there's like two other places that it uploads to. I don't really know. what I forget what they are, but um yeah so you're still gonna be able to find the podcast but we will be going with the m or the octagon hour from now on so it'll be called the octagon hour uh i don't know how that name wasn't taken i looked up like 20 different names every fucking one of them was taken tried that shot in the dark and ended up nothing came back so i was like fuck it we're rolling with it so it'll be called the octagon hour from now on uh and that's where you're gonna be able to find us so we'll um i'll, I'll tweet it out I'll put it all over my socials and everything like that. We'll make sure people know. And uh, yeah, it shouldn't be too hard to find, but this will give us a better understanding of how we're doing weekly now. Um, since me and my brother's show's coming back as well on the same channel. Um, while I still can see the individual views for episodes, it'll just give us an overall better um, representation of how the show itself is doing and make it easier to find and access for people. Cause there's people who ask all the time, what's your show? And then I go, oh, it's on this channel, but it's this show. And there's really no way to look up the name of the show. So this will just make things easier for everybody. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I don't know what you do, but I'm excited to go solo and start doing it. So excited to go solo and get away from that kid, Matt Cox. He's just really yeah, ruining the brand at this point. So. And he's had a grip on us for over yeah. a year now. It's just, it's just one step closer to being fully legitimized. You know? <laughs> and this is our story. Yep, that's um, what it is. <laughs> we're finally coming clean. Uh, all right, so we are going to be going through our own personal, um, like I said, our own, what are these called? What would you, superlatives, I guess? Categories slash awards. Categories, yeah, slash awards, I guess. Um, and this is what the fighters are looking for. They're coming to this channel to see what we give them out. The UFC, UFC, whatever. These are the awards they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, when so, Dana White's in contract negotiations, he says, well, what did the, in the clinch podcast say, were you right. the KO of the year? Were you on the event of the year? They ask these things and people get paid based off this. So we took this very seriously. And Theo, I'm requiring you to ask this at the next press conference, at least one of these <laughs> big, Hey, you won in the clinch rookie of the year. How does that feel? <laughs> Like, oh what? my god! <laughs> they start crying. Like, it means everything yeah. to me. They're like, oh, "Wow, man!" It's like this is what you dream of when you start fighting. Um, <laughs> I want to know what John Cox thinks about my uh, fighting abilities. Right. This is really it. This is the pinnacle <laughs> of sports. Oh shit! Uh, so we're gonna go through fighter of the year, fight of the year, rookie of the year, debut of the year, KO of the year, submission of the year, event of the year, coach of the year, comeback fighter of the year, charitable fighter of the year, and the walkout of the year. Um, and a couple of these will have me, uh, male and female, obviously, for where it applies. Um, before we jump in, is there anything else we're, we're missing before we jump right into this? I'm not sure. I think we're ready to go. You might want to move a little go. bit closer to your microphone. Like, keep cutting out a little bit, but we'll keep, we'll keep going. A little bit. Here we go. No, this is live radio, folks. This is live radio, folks. 
All right, let me check all my connections here. I think we're doing all right, but um, okay. Let's see. Uh, do you want to start us off, Neil, with uh, your fighter of the year for both male and female? All right. My male fight of the year, and I think this is going to be a pretty consistent pick. I think you're going to agree with me on this one. We've talked about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Kamaru Usman. Yeah. Um, based off of the strength of schedule that he had, you know, knocking out Gilbert Burns to start the year and then quickly turning around against Jorge Masvidal um, on such short notice, I think it was only a couple months, like, like a few numbered events in between those fights. Yeah. Uh, that also matters for that. The matter in which he knocked out Jorge Masvidal too was such a statement because going into that fight, we all thought if he were to have a chance against Masvidal, he would out-wrestle him, you know, on the feet where Masvidal would have his opportunity to, to hurt Kamaru and probably win that fight. And what a statement it was to knock him out flat cold on the feet. The follow-up shots weren't even necessary. Yeah. Uh, he was out already. Oh, whoa, 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 and whoa, 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 whoa. They were super necessary. I knew you were going to say <laughs> they were super necessary. Super necessary. Um, and then to end the year on one of the biggest cards of the year against Colby Covington, the rematch, uh, to knock him down twice in that fight and then continue on mm-hmm. and get a decision win, that was huge. And also, I think he really came into his own this year. I think, you know, he kind of, before this year, didn't really have the respect from the mainstream fans, from the casuals. He didn't have that name recognition. Now I feel like his star power has grown so much and he's gotten so much more high profile over this year that it's hard to give him, it's hard to give anyone else male fighter of the year other than Kamaru Usman, John. What's yeah, your absolutely. pick for a male fighter of the year? Uh, my male fighter of the year is the same guy. It's Kamaru Usman. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, with the fight, the strength of schedules would jump out to me for sure. It's You're putting them against the toughest guys in the division over and over, murderers left and right. And he just took up. He he came in and passed most of these tests with flying colors each time. I, if you want to give him any sort of grief, you could say that he got hurt by Gilbert Burns in the beginning of that fight. But that's really the only miscue he had. I suppose Colby gave him a bit of trouble in the rematch, but not that much. For the most part, he controlled the fight. Uh, and then, of course, the stunning knockout of Jorge Masvidal. The only excuse me, only the second time I believe he was knocked out in his professional fighting career. Um, and he did it in the same way that he was knocked out the first time too. So it shows that he went back. And he did his homework. Had a lot of help from Trevor Whitman, obviously, but um, even that's not talked about is that um, it, it's not exactly easy for these guys to go from what they've been training with their entire lives and make that switch over to a new camp and um, not necessarily have to like readapt or uh, I mean, I suppose you do have to, it's a change of scenery, right? So that's always tough. And it's, it's a tough conversation to have with your original camp and stuff like that. And some people get grief for this all the time about, hey, how could you switch up on your team, blah, blah, blah. But this is a guy who did this for the betterment of his career and the betterment of a career that was already going really well. So it's a tough thing to do, but he did it and he's had a ton of success since doing it. So it's commendable for sure. Um, But yeah, like back to your point, I I think that he really did gain the respect of the casual fans and everything like that. Because there's, like I said, so many people started watching MMA this year and the UFC was the only sport on during the pandemic. They didn't slow down the entire time. Um, and it just gained so many fans, especially casuals that are now hardcore fans. I have so many friends now that are, um, that it's like, whenever there was a fight on, uh, it's, oh, you want to watch the fights? Eh, it's not really my thing, blah, blah, blah. Now there's guys texting me left and right. Hey, what's, who's fighting tonight? Uh, is this guy fighting? Oh, you want to come over and watch this fight? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, Kamara was remember from the guy who was like, oh, that African, the Nigerian nightmare guy. Yeah, I know. To like, holy shit, dude, the Kamara fights tonight. We got to watch that. Like, so, um, yeah, Kamara Usman, fighter of the year for sure for the male side. Um, I, there's no question in my mind. I think he absolutely deserved it. And uh, I, I'm really happy to see him really just completely blossom into this unbelievable champion. I mean, 
at the beginning of the year, we're talking about how good he is. And now there's discussions that he's maybe the best of all time in the division. So uh, credit to him. I think he absolutely deserves it. And I think we should also give a quick shout out to Charles Oliveira because I'm seeing mm-hmm. a lot of people pick him as the other possible male fighter of the year. Yes. He also had a great run, you know, winning the vacant title against Michael Chandler, who is a proven commodity at 155. He's yep. for sure a top five fighter, even though he's lost two of, of three in the UFC. And then also getting submission against Dustin Poirier, who, again, is a perennial top five fighter in the lightweight division, one of the best in the UFC. Um, and also going through adversity in both of those fights, getting dropped in both of those fights by superior strikers and finding a way to get finishes in both of them. I mean, Charles Oliveira deserves uh, his credit for sure. But Kamara Usman is the guy who owned 2021, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we're moving on now. So fighter of the year for the male, we both have the agreement that it is Kamara Usman. Um, female fighter of the year. This is where we might disagree on a couple of things, but for me, it's Rose Nami Yunus. I think that um, she completely up, stepped up in her career even higher than we thought she could have gone. Um, showed a ton of resilience. Uh, answered, the, answered the bell every single time with flying colors. Uh, takes the strap back, defends it. Has a fantastic rematch. Um, really another person who's gone to Trevor Whitman now and completely just up the levels of their career to, to heights that maybe they, not even they thought they could go. I think she captured the hearts of everybody telling uh, with the, I'm the best speech and the post uh, post fight press conference with Rogan and stuff like that. Um, another person who has gone from maybe a couple people know her to the mainstream for sure. Now everyone knows who she is. She's got the haircut. She's got the post fight press conference. Like I said, um, and she's just an awesome fighter. She's a great person. She's just I, everybody loves Rose, and I think she just, like, I, with Kamara, I think she just blossomed this year. She totally grew as a fighter. She grew as a person, um, and it, it's awesome to see her kind of rejuvenate her career. That wasn't in any trouble necessarily, but there was a couple setbacks in 2020, and now she's right back on the path of uh, being a real problem for these women at, um, in the UFC, and I, I think, for me, Rose Namajunas is my female fighter of the year. John, I'm going to have to agree. I think that Rose Namajunas had the best strength of schedule for uh, the whole female fighting um, category. Although Valentina Shevchenko, I believe, is a better pound-for-pound fighter, I don't think that she had the ability to perform as well as Rose did because she fought Jessica Andrade. She was a great opponent, but she's not on the level that, say, a Zhang Weili is. And then mm-hmm. she fought Lauren Murphy at the end of the year as well. Again, not on the level of Zhang Weili. And although Rose only fought one person, albeit twice, uh, I think it says something that she went toe-to-toe with one of the best female strikers that we've ever seen. And she no, proved that not only can she beat her by finish, but she could beat her by decision. And that's something that she did with Ioana Jacek right after she won the title the first time as well. Um, she also dealt with like a ton of outside distractions. If you remember the climate before her fight in UFC 261 with uh, Zhang Weili, there was the whole communist thing, you know, better dead than red, all that stuff. Yeah. I thought she handled it really well and then didn't really want to address it all during fight week. She apologized for it after the fact. Her and Zhang Weili don't have any problems about that whatsoever. And then, of course, a huge pressure cooker going to UFC 268, the co-main event, again under Kamara Usman. Um, and, of course, Zhang Weili elevated her game because of the loss to Rose Namajunas. She had a much tougher fight this time around, and she proved that she can go toe-to-toe and get a win in the distance and a close, close fight and keep her composure. Uh, that championship composure is the reason why I believe Rose Namajunas is the fighter of the year for 2021. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think it's like, there's not enough that could be said about Rose. So um, I, I've, 
said it all I think I can say about her. Uh, I'm sure there's more I could, but I, I think it's just let her actions do the talking. Uh, we'll move on now. Yeah, and that's her style, year. too. Oh, she yeah, doesn't she like to talk a lot. You know, she, she lets her actions speak for her. And you kind of see that in the pre-fight uh, press conferences, you know, during the week before the fights. She'll not say much. She'll give quick answers. She's not really there for the media, for the stars, for the glory, any of that. She's there to fight, and she makes her statements with her fists. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't do a lot leading up to the fight after she made those controversial comments at UFC 261. And that KO with the high kick was the statement that she really needed. And then, of course, there was still a lot of drama heading into the rematch and she let her actions do the speaking for with that close decision win one of the best fights uh, she's had in her career in my opinion yeah. so yeah sorry to cut you off there john but i no, think it's good. important to know that she uh she does let her actions do the talking for her. yeah absolutely uh now we're gonna move on to fight of the year uh, both male and female uh theo you want to start with this one yeah, I feel like we're going to agree, agree again. On this one too, yeah. It's going to be Justin Gaethje versus <laughs> yeah, yeah. Michael Chandler. I mean, again, storylines for these guys. Uh, Justin Gaethje wants to prove that he can get the title shot. He feels like he's the deserving guy, and he's going against Michael Chandler, a guy who they had a little bit of heat going in this. He didn't feel like he deserved to be in that moment. Um, and to their credit, both men came forward with something to prove. Um, you know, Justin Gaethje was hurt early on in the fight by Michael Chandler. I'm impressed by Gagey's ability to weather that storm and then put it right back on Chandler and not take his foot off the gas pedal. He said that he felt much more comfortable after the first round ended and he felt like he controlled the fight more, which I don't know how much you can control an absolute war like that. But to his credit, he did get the victory in the decision. And I even love that uh, Michael Chandler, albeit uh, he didn't make the best decisions in the third round, you know, walking forward with his hands down, just kind of beckoning him on. Um, He mixed it up with the wrestling or at least tried to with that slam. And even then, Justin Gagey beautifully transitioned to that. Uh, rolled out of that really well. I thought the scramble was really good out of that exchange. So that was fight of the year, in my opinion. Just so much high-intensity drama, so much action. And uh, credit to both of those guys because they took a lot of damage and uh, they put on quite the show. Yeah, I have the same fight for me as well, um, at least for the male side. Uh, I, I think this fight, what it really did was it showed that Justin Gaethje, um, a newer side of Justin Gaethje, a more composed and controlled style, while also like keeping those brawling roots that he started that we all fell in love with. Uh, excuse me. And another thing that it showed was just like Michael Chandler is as tough as they come. I, I think that we saw him get rocked by Oliveira and people were wondering like, is his chin still going to hold up? Like, what's it going to be? And Justin Gaethje, those fucking bombs, man. And he took all of them, took him right on the chin. Like you said, kept walking forward. I mean, just a fighter's fighter through and through. This is exactly what you look for in a fighter if you're just a casual fight fan and um, also if you're a hardcore fan, but this is a, this is one of those typical, like when people talk about like cage fighting where they're like, Oh, it's just two guys in there just beating the shit out of each other. And it's like, there's nothing really else to it. There is more to it, but if you're going to look at this fight on the surface, this is absolutely what that was. It's just two guys going toe to toe, giving each other everything they got beating the shit out of each other. And um, I, I mean, this fight really just, I already, I'm a huge fan of Michael Chandler, but if this, if you didn't have respect for Michael Chandler, you absolutely do after this fight. I think this could not have been done any better. And also a lot of hype going into the fight about this could be um, the fight of the night, yada, yada. This is going to be an absolute war, blah, blah, blah. And it seems to like, there's a lot of fights get that get hyped up a ton before the fight. And end up not living up to the standard just because the hype was so big. And this one is the opposite. It was hyped to the roof, to the ceiling, and then completely lived up to it. So much so that there was a 
fantastic fight right after it was Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantillo, and no one even really talks about it. And it was unbelievable. That was, was another fantastic fight right sure. after. Um, yeah, then this is just it, it's a fight of the year for sure. And I think I, it's safe to say it's going to be a UFC Hall of Fame fight at some point. For sure. But you know what I'm going to say is the female fight of the year for 2021. What's that? I had to find a way to get her on this list somehow. And I think it was Juliana Pena defeating Amanda Nunez at UFC 269. I mean, first of all, Juliana Pena, for as much hype as we've given her, she was two and two in her last four, and she hadn't fought in, in about a year before then. You know, we yeah. weren't counting her. We weren't giving her a chance at all. Um, she took on some damage early in the fight. She got dropped in the first round. Um, and then she really kind of just sat there in the pocket with her and said, come on, Amanda, show me what you got. And they got into a big bit of an ego war there. It seemed like they were willing to trade, not much defense there. And then all of a sudden we see Amanda start to wither a little bit. She gets a little tired. She gets a little rocked on her feet. She gets back up against the cage. She gets taken down. Juliana Pena gets her neck and there's a quick tap by Amanda. I mean, that's just an incredible performance, not only given the stakes, but the opponent, you know, the history behind that is one of the best, if not the best upset in the history of the UFC. Um, for all of that, history combined, of I have sports. Right. I, I have to give the uh, female fight of the year to Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunez. And I look forward to their rematch. Hopefully it's in Brazil because they're rumoring mm -hmm. that they're going to have a card in Brazil early next year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I promise this is not going to keep happening, but I absolutely agree with you. I think this is the only fight you can go with. <laughs> um, it, it's I mean, the stakes are insane. The buildup was insane. Um, that was the biggest thing for me as far as this fight goes. Not just the finish and everything like that, but what was going into this fight? Everyone up to this point in Amanda's career, they may have talked a little bit of shit here and there. Uh, they think they're going to win, but this is a girl, Juliana Pena, who said, I like, who did not like Amanda Nunes, thought she was afraid of her, thought she was ducking her, didn't want to fight her, told her she was going to go in, she was going to make it a dog fight, and she was going to win the fight. And then she went in there and did it. And we, we've never seen someone put pressure on Amanda Nunes like this as the champion. Um, Obviously, she has losses in her career, but as far as her title reign goes, it's nothing. It's been a cakewalk up to this point. And like you said, it, it was an ego war, and Juliana Pena is just tough. And she just, it was the pressure and the volume of her that surprised me. It's once you start seeing Amanda take those deep breaths, and you're like, oh shit, I think like she's really kind of putting it on her here. And then it just kept going. And then all of a sudden, you're jumping out of your seat, and you're like, holy shit, what's happening right now? What's going on? Next thing you know, she's got the choke and she's tapping out. The broadcast team's going fucking insane. Um, and even afterwards, Juliana Payne, like for someone who just upset the greatest women's fighter of all time, the greatest women's champion of all time, not much of a reaction. I mean, she, she was excited, but it's, I mean, just supreme confidence. She knew she was going to do it. She wasn't expecting a different outcome and she went in there and she did it. Um, so congratulations to her. And yeah, I, I think this is absolutely, I don't see like going the other way with the uh, women's fight of the year. Totally tremendous. And I'm going to also keep the female theme going here because my rookie of the year we didn't decide between male and female on this one i'm gonna go with casey o'neill in the women's 125 division mm -hmm. uh in her career casey's eight and zero. in 2021 she was three and zero in the ufc and yep. got all those by finish most notably was her most recent one against antonio shevchenko cornered by her sister valentina um she's climbed the ranks so much quicker than anyone else in this category i think it's hard to give anyone else rookie of the year she's got a tough fight coming up I believe in either January or February against Roxanne Matafari. I mean, if she wins that fight, she's got to be top five, right? Like yeah, she's, 100%. Casey O'Neill has, has done a great job this year in elevating not only um, herself in the sport, but her 
reputation amongst the fans. Casey O'Neill is coming out for a fight. She's getting finishes, and um, she is the rookie of the year, in my opinion. But I will give a quick shout-out to my boy Chris Curtis, who had back-to-back finishes at UFC 268 and also at UFC on ESPN 31. Those were less than a month apart. Uh, he got those finishes against first Phil Hawes and then Brendan Allen. Both guys are not scrubs at all. Those are legit UFC proven guys who are also on the come up. Um, and Chris Curtis, man, he had gone on the contender series in 2018. He didn't get a contract. He's tried to be in the UFC multiple times. He's retired twice from the sport, I believe. And now he's finally got the chance to come in here uh, in the UFC and make a huge statement. I think Chris Curtis deserves a lot of credit for what he's done this year. But in my opinion, Casey O'Neill is the rookie of the year. So I had two here, um, one of them being Casey O'Neill. So since you went with Casey O'Neill, uh, I'll change it up. And I'm going to go with Michael Chandler. I, I know it might be a controversial opinion, um, but <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, I know it might be like a controversial opinion just because um, it, it seems that he, or he didn't have a winning record. But it, I think that what he did this year for his career is just – it's monumental. I, I, he comes in, he beats Dan Hooker out of nowhere. It's first fight with the promotion. He's obviously a massive signing. Um, then his second fight is for the UFC vacant title. And he ends up losing to Oliveira, but it's a fantastic fight back and forth for how short it was. And then, of course, he has a fight of the year with Justin Gagey. Ends up again losing that one, but again shows how tough he was. I think he made a ton of fans this year. I think as far as anybody with a negative record in the UFC career goes, he's probably the best. Uh, he, he's just... <laughs> he's a phenomenal fighter he's a guy who like we say he moves the needle um and people want to see it over and over again you, you want to see michael chandler you're excited for michael chandler fight so despite his losing record this year in 2021 i i think that he uh deserves rookie of the year totally legit i had him also on my honorable mentions but i chose not to list him just because you know he's been so established outside the ufc right. a bellator champion all that but i totally agree even though he's gone one and two those three fights, man, like how can you come out of any of those results without being a Michael Chandler fan? Uh, a guy who was relatively unproven to the UFC scene for so long in his career, he'd wanted to make it here and uh, prove himself amongst the elite. I think he absolutely nailed that, even though he lost two fights this year. So good on Michael Chandler. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. So now we're going to move on to debut of the year. Um, there was a shit ton to choose from here. Uh, a lot of day, de- a lot of fighters debuted this year. I want to say it was close to thirty, I believe, maybe more. Um, do you, I'll I'll start us off here. Um, so again, I have Michael Chandler. I think it was a huge um, statement debut. Him knocking out Dan Hooker. He has a ton of hype around him. Um, coming in as a free agent there's a lot of talks he's going into the 155 division one of the toughest divisions in the ufc one of the toughest divisions of all time in the ufc wow as far as the current standards go and he came in there facing a very tough opponent people forget dan hooker was on kind of a tear here even though he had a couple losses mixed in he still had a ton of momentum um very tough opponent very odd matchup for him stylistically size wise everything like that and he comes in and just lights the world on fire in the first round with the knockout. Uh, no one expected it on a huge card as well. So uh, I, I think that there, as far as it goes, I, I mean, there's people that are younger making their debuts and winning and stuff like that. But it, as far as it goes in with all the hype around you, I think you couldn't have nailed it any better than Michael Chandler did. Um, and I definitely want to give a shout out, though, an honorable mention to my boy, Chris Barnett. Uh, he made his UFC debut this year towards the end of the year. For those who don't remember, 
use the big bowling ball, black dude spinning, back heel, kick, whatever you want to call it, uh, heavyweight knockout, and then the front flip celebration onto his ass. Uh, that was also a fantastic debut. You can't, uh, you can't argue with that. So I want to give him a shout out as well. True. Uh, I agree. Uh, he also had a great debut. I have Michael Chandler in my honorable mentions for this one as well. But for my debut of the year, I'm going with Patty the Batty Pimblet. Now, a lot of people might get upset when you say this, but you have to encompass what a whole debut is really about. Mm -hmm. I think he nailed everything, his personality, his walkout, his demeanor, his look, his exciting style, uh, his answers to the media. He is the complete package. And when you make your debut on the UFC, you need to introduce yourself to the audience. Not only does that mean have a, a successful venture in your fight, have an exciting fight, but also who you are. I think Patty did a great job of not only just marketing himself, but showing the fans like you're in the Patty the Batty show. Like this is what's going on now. Um, you know, some of his competitors may have had tougher, tougher competition for their debuts, like Michael Chandler, who uh, took on Dan Hooker. But I think Patty did the best job of capitalizing in all areas, which makes for the perfect debut. Uh, and so my honorable mentions for this is, again, Michael Chandler against Dan Hooker. Ian Gary getting a buzzer beater knockout at UFC 268. I thought that was exceptional as well. He had a lot of the same elements that Patty did, you know, uh, good personality, uh, good media questions, stuff like that. And also Terrence McKinney with a, I believe it was a sec seven second knockout. Uh, it was like it straight one, two. Short, uh, yeah, it might have been shorter. Yeah, well, it was an incredible um, debut for him to make as well. Of course, he also yeah. has that great story about how uh, he was shot a couple of times and he almost overdosed and died. Um, Terrence McKinney is an absolute inspiration to not yes. just MMA fans, but sports fans worldwide. Uh, he also had a great debut, so I wanted to give him credit. Yeah, absolutely. I, there were so many to choose from here. It's like you have Michael Chandler, you have Patty, you have Ian Gary, Terrence McKinney, um, you have Pereira. It's, it, there's a ton of different guys to choose from. So this was a really tough one to choose. Um, but, you know, it's like someone's going to win. So um, <laughs> moving on to KO of the year, I'll let you take it away. Uh, let's see what your uh, not going to be your because, I mean, holy shit, there's a lot to choose from here. There was a lot to choose from. But I'm going with one. I might be breaking the rules here. This is not a UFC KO. This was Sergio Pettis spinning back fist knockout against Ooh. Kyoji Horiguchi. And let me tell you why. Sergio Pettis leading into this fight was kind of known as the um, illegitimate champion of, of Bellator's Bantamweight division with Kyoji vacating the title several years before. Now Kyoji is maybe viewed as the best Bantamweight outside of the UFC coming in to try and get that title back. And Kyoji, to his credit, was beating Sergio decisively in this fight. Um, it looked like it was, he was going to get the belt back and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden Sergio pulls out the trick out of the bag. He does a, um, a high kick that he leads into a spinning back fist that he's trained so many times. We've seen the videos in the gym of him trying this exact move and he lands it perfectly on the chin. Uh, it's as, as much of a complete stunner. And that was as clean as they come. Uh, you got to put some damn respect on Sergio Pettis's name. And that finish, in my opinion, was the best out of any in mixed martial arts this year. And it was in a championship fight to end the year for Bellator. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, um, that, that was an awesome knockout, especially the implication of what, everything that was going into it and stuff like that and the time where it happened. So I totally agree that that was a fantastic knockout in our first uh, candidate outside the UFC. So that's good too. Um, for me, the knockout of the year was Ignacio Bonamondes versus Roosevelt Roberts. Um, there was a bunch of different significant knockouts of like in, uh, how much was on the line and stuff like that and just to try to make it easier i just went with the flash i went for the like the best um 
looking or hardest to pull off. And in my opinion, this was it. It was a fantastic spinning back heel kick um, on Roosevelt Roberts from Bob Mondays, who is a fucking murderer. He's so scary. And uh, I'm excited to see him try to climb the rankings here. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch that one because that one was, it was insane. But I mean, again, not much on the line in that fight. It was just a fantastic knockout. and It made the decision a little bit easier. Uh, moving on to the submission of the year. I kind of feel like we might both have the same one here, but uh, I'll uh, I'll start us off and I'll see what you say. I think it's hard to go and say it wasn't Juliana Pena. Uh, that's who I have for mine. Uh, just the implication of it, um, everything that went into the fight, who it was against, the timing of it, the card it was on, title fight greatest of all time and she takes her down dominates her taps her out i mean there's not much more to say about this than we haven't already said uh super impressive to not only really take it to the champ on the feet but then to take her down and then immediately lock in a submission it's it's, it's as good as it gets so submission of the year in my opinion juliana i have to be honest this was the toughest category for me to pick just because I didn't feel like there was a lot of diversity in submissions that we saw this year. And, you know, uh, I know like if there's like a banana split or something like that, that's just like so obvious, like a, or a, a Bryce Mitchell twister, something like that. Like that's an easy candidate for some of the year, but a lot of these were just rear nakeds uh, stuff that we see a lot. So I really had to go with how impressive was it that they got to that point. And in my opinion, Juna Pena, I think did it against the best competition that anyone did uh, this year. Like that was the biggest, um, Amanda Nunes is like pound for pound better than anyone who was submitted this year. Um, and Juliana Pena deserves credit for that. So I understand why you would have her sub the year. I went back and forth and I thought maybe I'd pick her, but instead I'm going to go with Hamzat Shemaev because Ooh. he was coming off of a terrible battle with COVID. He was coughing mm. up blood, stuff like that. Thought he was never going to fight again. Um, in Abu Dhabi, everyone's rooting for Hamzat. This is the first moment he's fought in front of the UFC fans. It's a huge, huge, um, factor it's a lot of pressure on him and the way he from the bell manhandled legion leon picking him up yelling at dana while he's doing it controlling him while he's in the air is supremely impressive to me and then as soon as it was on his back i mean you got to give credit to the leech because he was trying everything he could to get him off of the back but we really saw how good hamza chmaev is controlling positions on the ground especially when he gets that back he gets both hooks in it just felt like a formality and although he didn't get the first or second attempt at the sub he ended up choking him unconscious at the end, uh, standing up on top of the cage. What a moment for Hamza Chemaev, and he is the winner of the submission of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that was like uh, that was crazy in the sense of like people were obviously he's coming back off COVID, and it's a very tough fight. But everyone was talking about like I, I think a lot of people were favoring Zhang Li in this fight. Uh, Leaving how do you fuck? Oh, God damn it! I always Leaving Leon. Leading Leon, um, they were favoring him a lot in this fight, and I think there was a chip on the shoulder for Hamzat. Uh, like you said, coming off the COVID battle, but not just that, um, really coming out of retirement. And I put that in quotations, but uh, he really didn't think he was going to fight again because it just he couldn't recover, and then ends up finding the heart to do it and everything like that, and comes back and just picks up right where he left off with just complete sheer domination of anyone they put in front of him. And the world is his fucking oyster right now. That, that I mean dude Hamzat is is he the biggest fight in the UFC right now I think there's an no. argument to be made I think there is an argument to be made there that he is the biggest fight in the UFC right now um obviously you still have Conor McGregor in the mix and stuff like that tomorrow but I, I don't know man I, I as far as a non-champion goes I, I think that it's him 
Well, Connor's also not cheering, so I'm just going to have to go with right, him off true. that. But what I will say is, you know, I'm hesitant to say Hamzat because we haven't seen him sell any pay-per-views yet. But um, if you just look at social media engagement, like Hamzat Chemaev, the face-off with Lee Jingli on ahead of this fight broke the UFC's Instagram records like for views. Um, there's several, I, I can't even think of the numbers off the top of my head, but there's also a bunch of different instances from that fight week where Hamza Chmaev was breaking social media records like crazy. So he most certainly has the potential to become the biggest draw in the UFC, although we cannot give him that credit without him uh, A, main eventing, or B, main eventing a pay-per-view and seeing what his actual draw is. Um, so yeah, you still got to give that to Connor. I mean, Connor sold 38% of all pay-per-view buys this year yeah. and he only fought twice. Like, that's insane. Yeah, he just had a 1.8 million pay-per-view fight, the second biggest fight in the history of the company. Hamza Chamayev hasn't sold a million pay-per-views yet, so we can't really say that for sure, but he is certainly on the come up, and I suspect he will definitely break a million buys, not maybe in his first fight, but eventually in his career, and I think that he has the potential to go even further up as long as he keeps performing at such a high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on now, event of the year. I think this is one's going to get uh, – I, I, Know nothing. We're gonna agree on this one, but um, do you want to? I'll let you take this one away. I wanna, I'm curious what your answer is because we've talked about it before. We have talked about it before, and the the way that I went through this one is that I, I had a couple of candidates. I started with 261, which was mm-hmm. Usman Masvidal two, 264 McGregor Poirier three, mm-hmm. uh, 268 Covington Usman two. And USC 269, Oliveira versus Poirier. And I went through not just the main card, but the prelims. And I said, oh, which fight was entertaining compared to the other ones? Like, this one had a more entertaining prelim than this one. So I, I ranked them in this way. And in my opinion, UFC 269 is the best pay-per-view of the year. I mean, let's just go through the list. Oliveira defeated Dustin Poirier via submission. That was an incredible fight. Of course, mm-hmm. the Coleman Pena defeated Nunez with a submission. That was incredible. Jeff Neal versus Ponzinibbio was an underrated fight that I was entertained by, but a lot of people didn't give it its flowers. But then, of course, we had Kai Kara France defeating Cody Garbrandt via TKO and Sean O'Malley defeating Julian, Julian Paiva by first-round TKO. That was incredible. But then just look at the prelims on this. Josh Emmett beat Dan Ige. Uh, Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz was also a great fight. Tai Tuivasa again lit up T-Mobile Arena with Augusto Sakai. Even the Bruno Silva and Jordan Wright fight was great. Andre Muniz versus Eric Anders is great as well. Um, and even the Ryan Hall fight was fascinating to me as well. Like There were so many good fights on this card. Um, and I was hesitant to give it that honor right after it happened because I'm aware of recency bias, but I think that ended up being the best card of the year. And if not for that, I would have UFC 268 as my number two because that one was also tremendous. Yeah, well, I was wrong because we do agree. Uh, I have USC 269 as the event of the year as well. Uh, I, it's the end of the year. Again, like you said, recency bias. I, I don't think that's what this is. I think it was a fucking unbelievable card. Um, I just remember immediately talking to people after. Obviously, UFC 268 is great. 264 is the crazy ending, but overall, fantastic card. 261, first one with fans in over a year. Um, or full full stadium, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I just remember talking to people after, and everyone just kept saying, this is the perfect card. It, it was fucking stacked top to bottom. Every fight went the way that you thought it was going to go. There wasn't a lot of hyped-up fights that didn't live up to the hype. Um, all the, the, main of, the main card was fantastic. You knockouts, finishes everywhere. Um, it, it, it solidifies 
Charles Oliveira is a true champion right now. Uh, his first offense, he totally lives up to it. Again, facing adversity, again, getting hurt early, and again, coming back and defending his belt. Um, obviously, the first time earning the belt. Uh, you have the finish of Amanda Nunes, the greatest of all time. That sets up a massive rematch. And finally, we have um, an opponent that she is worthy of defeat or uh, of fighting again. And now you're going to get some eyeballs on Amanda Nunes. People want to see her fight. Hopefully, she can turn around those pay per view numbers. Uh, you have Cody in the brand new weight division getting destroyed by Kai Car in front. Uh, of course, Sean O'Malley. Everyone's, well, I mean, again, another massive fight in the UFC right now. Uh, and he lives up to the hype totally. And it's, in my opinion, his first real true test. I know that a lot of people think Holly and Paiva um, wasn't like, he didn't get the respect he was due, in my opinion. But I, I really thought that was a tough fight for Sean O'Malley. And I think he completely exceeded all expectations. Um, and like you said, Josh Emmett versus Danny a fantastic fight. The prelims are fantastic. It's just a great fight through and through. A perfect way to cap off an unfucking believable year for the UFC. And um, yeah, I think two F- UFC 269 totally uh, takes the cake. And on the back of that, you know, you said in the in the review of 269, the last podcast that we did, that you thought 2021 was the best year of the history of the company. And I was reluctant mm-hmm. to give you that honor as well. Um, after doing some research of this, it's hard to argue otherwise. Like just those four events I listed, 261, 264, 268, 269. I can't remember a year where we had that many cards that were that good through the whole right. entire event. Like even the prelims on those are great. And I'm going to throw in 267 as well. The RBW yeah. card before 268, just a week before that is, I feel getting lost in the mix as well with some of this analysis. That's an incredible stretch of fights, man. I mean, you know, maybe we didn't have some great fight nights that the, and that they would have in the past. You know, maybe some of those cards were a little lackluster. But as far as pay per views go, it's yeah. hard to find a it's hard to find a year that rivals this run that UFC right. had in twenty twenty one. So I think this might be one of, if not the best year for pay per views. I, I think so. What we were seeing before that it seemed to be like a, a trend that was coming in the last two years of the fight nights were fantastic and some of the pay per views were a little lackluster. Not necessarily bad, but um, it seemed that we were having a ton of fantastic fight nights. Obviously, that's what happens sometimes because you have these young, uh, young, hungry fighters. They're looking to make a name for themselves. They're on the free cards. Um, and then the established guys are on the, the pay-per-views. But it, and like I said, they weren't necessarily bad pay-per-views, but it just seemed like, I, I want to say maybe last year, even the year before leading in, it was like we had some great pay-per-views, but a lot of fight nights that stood out as well. And then this year... Um, I, I don't want to say the, pay, the fight nights were bad, but they weren't as good as they have been in the past couple of years. But I mean, they, I've seen like every weekend we were like, holy shit, dude, look at this card coming up. Like this thing's fucking stacked. I mean, the amount of times I've said that this year was more than I could remember in the last couple of years. It, it, and we're finally seeing a trend that I'm loving in the UFC of them just taking these pay-per-views and just finally not resorting to one really good main event or one good co and main event. And they're just saying, fuck it. And they're just juicing the whole thing all the way through. Uh, they're making it a big blowout event every single weekend. And I, I absolutely love it. And I think maybe there was a problem in the past that there wasn't enough talent to go around to do this without making one really good card and then like having the next couple fall off. I think there's so much talent right now and so many exciting fighters that are doing a really good job marketing new fighters, marketing the exciting fighters with social media. The pandemic actually has helped the UFC in that sense. So um, I think the UFC is nailing it right now, man. It's growing astronomically, and this is what you want. If, you, if you've been a fan since the early days 
um, or even recently, like this is what you want to see. You just want to see the sport keep growing and growing, and that's what it's doing. I'm fucking excited. I love it. Absolutely, man. It was incredible year of 2021. Not only just for us as fans, but the sport has grown so much. They make they're they're closing in on I think a billion dollars in revenue this year, um, which puts them you know in the upper echelon of sports leagues, which is what they've wanted for so long is to become legitimized. That's why they took away the sponsors on the shorts. And although mm-hmm. we all have our opinions on that, whether that worked, but they they moved towards regulation. They got into New York when that wasn't even feasible a couple of years before Um, they got on ESPN, they did all these things to become a legitimized sport. And we're seeing the benefits of that now, like you said before, you know, I've got friends who would never watch fights, but now are texting me like, Hey, what do you think about this guy? This guy's good. Right. Right. Like what about this car coming up? Like, I definitely want to watch this. The sport has grown so much more. It's become so much more mainstream. And I think that was a conscious decision to stack all of these cards coming out of the pandemic, letting fans back in the building, putting on these big pay-per-view events to say, you know what? The UFC is the best show in sports and we're going to prove it this year. And they nailed it right on the head there. Yeah, and I hope that's something they stick with, not just because we're coming. I mean, it seems now that more people I know of COVID than the entire fucking pandemic so far, but still, I, I, I hope that they keep this, this trend going of stacking these pay-per-view cards because this is what all the fans want to see. Um, yeah, man, it's just like, it's such a good year for the sport. and It's just awesome to see the sport grow. I, I love every second of it. Um, all right, coach of the year. Um, I feel like we can just say this on three and we're going to have the exact same answer. Go for it. One, two, three. Trevor, Trevor Whitman. Whitman. All right, there we exactly. go. Why is Trevor Whitman the coach of the year, John? Well, Trevor Whitman's the coach of the year, uh, Theo, because I'm pretty sure he had like, I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head five different fighters defend or earn title or five different fights where a fighter either won or defended a title or uh secured a title it's too many to count championship wins yeah yeah i think kamara had three rose had two gaichi had that win I, i mean I, we can go on and on. He has transformed those three people alone's career. And there's countless other fighters that I'm sure he has too, but just up the top of my head, it's like those three jump out right away and he completely transformed their careers in the matter of one calendar year. So, I think that also speaks to the level that Trevor Woman's on when you realize that he has not just one, but two in the clinch fighter of the year award winners and Rose Namajunas and right. Kamaru Usman on his team. That's um, he's, He's also worked a lot with Corey Sanhagen this year, as well as uh, Chris Curtis. Um, No, not Chris Curtis, Curtis Blades, excuse me. Um, And although Curtis Blades had a loss to Derek Lewis in the year, I thought he came back strong against Jarzino Rosenstruck. I think that showed a lot of maturity in his game. That has to be a lot of credit has to go to Trevor Wynn for that. And also, even though Corey Sanhagen lost to TJ Dillashaw and he lost to Piotr Jan, in those fights, man, his striking was very, very impressive. Like, his stock doesn't go down at all as a result of losing both of those fights. And on top of that, he also had a KO of the year candidate that we didn't mention earlier that I'll give his flowers to now. He had a flying knee knockout against Frankie Edgar, which yeah. is tremendous. So, um, as a whole, I think Trevor Whitman did an excellent job um, with all of his fighters. And, you know, maybe we see this trend continue in MMA where you know, I know it's, it's very common to go to ATT or AKA or, you know, one of these big gyms yeah. and train with what you think are the best fighters in the world in that gym. But maybe it's worth it more to have a coach where he has less fighters. He can focus on you more. And they're more specialist oriented. Um, I think we're seeing the success of that play out, whichever women in his prodigies. But 
um, yeah, without a doubt, 2021 was Trevor Whitman's year for coach. Yeah, and not to mention, too, I, um, he corners Kamara Usman now, and we saw Kamara Usman's heavy involvement with Francis Ngannou, and I don't think it's crazy to say that Trevor Whitman might have had a hand in that as well. Yeah, I'm not sure how much they train together, but, you know, right. what Kamara Usman learns from Trevor, exactly, can you yeah. translate that to um, Francis? Yeah, I don't think that's a stretch at all. But, um, yeah, we're definitely seeing Trevor Whitman's impact on the sport much more this year than uh, anyone else that I could think of. So Trevor Whitman yeah. wins it for me. All right, so now we have a big category. Um, I'm curious to see if we have the same answer on this one. Comeback fighter of the year. Um, I'll let you go first on this one. So I want to see what your a, answer is. I have a feeling that we might, because I chose Jose, or excuse me, Jose Aldo. Yep. Um, same is guy. that what you had? Yeah. Yep. God damn it. So, <laughs> <laughs> in his fights with Pedro Munoz and Rob Font, he showed how much his boxing has improved. Now, although yeah. that is just one area, um, I thought it was so much better. And that's especially impressive when you realize that Jose Aldo is, excuse me, Jose. I keep wanting to say Jose to be correct, but I know it's actually Jose, which is just Jose like, Aldo Jr. Yeah. Like, you know, you're supposed to say Jose, really, but right. he goes by Jose, so it's different. I don't know. Anyways, Jose Aldo is 35 years old, and he's taken plenty of damage for his career. He's been fighting for 17 years. And 17. those 17 years have been at the highest level possible right. and also he has to deal with his weight cut that he hasn't had to deal with before which is an extremely big obstacle for him to get through a lot of people thought he couldn't even make 135 feasibly but he's found a healthy way to do it he's committed his diet to the uh to the lifestyle of fighting jose aldo, jose aldo is going to <laughs> line himself up nicely for a title shot in my opinion 2022 yep. um you know in my opinion comeback fire of the years jose because he also had some slip-ups before and the losses to Marlon Marias and Piotr Jan in 2020. He came back nicely this year, took some time off the start, came in around August, and uh, proved to everyone that he's still around. So Jose Aldo gets my pick. Ugh, excuse me. Um, Jose Aldo is my pick as well. And it's just to see a guy do what he's done this year, um, I don't want to call him old, but 35, he's probably getting towards the tail end of his career and had the second win. I mean, there's a lot of people that thought Conor McGregor just – broke him as a fighter and um you might have seen a serious decline from him but that wasn't the case he comes back it's a couple wins and then two losses to Piotr Jan and Marlon Marius um and and uh, especially the one that Piotr Jan was just I, in my opinion I think that was a very tough and um I'm not sure what the word is a discouraging loss in a sense because it's a chance for a real top shot uh, a possible title shot and you come close but you end up um, inevitably falling and he easily could have called it quits there too he doesn't his his comes back gets two wins now and like you said I think I, I totally agree I think he's in the line for a title shot at some point in 2022 um, it, it's really just speaks to the character of Jose Aldo and how long he's been on top to go down as far as he did and then come right back up and now all of a sudden showing massive improvements in a new weight class and um, a ton of resilience, and it, it's just like, what more can a guy do in his career, already illustrious career? And it, it, he just completely answers the bell every single time that they call his number. So, um, yeah, comeback fighter of the year is Jose Aldo for me. Um, I, I don't see how you could pick anybody else. In this next category, I have a feeling we're going to agree on yeah. this one again, 
But um, I thought that we should throw this in here because this is kind of what a lot of people do in other sports. You know, I thought about the Bill Masterton Award in the NHL, you know, the most mm-hmm. charitable guy, the, the guy who does the most for his community. And in my opinion, John, and I sure that, I'm sure that you share this, is Dustin Poirier, right? Yeah, Dustin Poirier for sure. Dustin Poirier has done a lot of great work with uh, his charity, the Good Fight Foundation. Uh, they did a lot of stuff before the rematch with Conor McGregor. Um, and also he brought out uh, a young man named Peyton Murphy to the trilogy in, in Las Vegas in July um, yep. and continued to do even more charitable work in his fights in his fight with uh, Charles Oliveira. Although coming off of a loss, he still sucked it up like a man, uh, held up his end of the deal. Uh, he's also donated fight kits for so many years now. Uh, if you remember, Habib even offered up his shirt to donate to the Good Fight Foundation after he defeated Dustin Poirier, although that was not this year, but I think we should still mention that. Um, Dustin Poirier has done a lot of good for the good for the uh, city of Lafayette, Louisiana, and he deserves recognition for that. Yeah. Um, you know what? Just in the sense of not having the same pick again, and another guy who deserves a shout-out, um, this guy hasn't fought in since 2017, but he is technically still a fighter. Um, it's Justin Wren. I don't know if you know who Justin Wren is. He is a Bellator heavyweight. He's Justin the Big Pygmy Wren. He is a uh, massive contributor to the Fight for the Forgotten Chair, uh, Foundation. He, uh, what he does is he goes to the Congo and he helps set up uh, wells for the Pygmy people of the Congo. Um, a very mm. small tribe that a lot of people don't know about. Um, this guy is unbelievable. He's been on Joe Rogan a ton of times. He's super charitable. He's incredible. Joe Rogan says every time he's on, he makes him feel like a selfish piece of shit because he just <laughs> doesn't do anything that Justin Wren does. Um, this guy is the shit. He's the nicest dude, and he's an awesome, just a, a quality character. Um, so much so that he he left Bellator on a uh, six-fight win streak at heavyweight. Uh, like I said, hasn't fought since March 3rd of 2017. Um, but at one point, I believe he was the champion there. I might be wrong about that. He's definitely fought in, for the championship at least once. Um, but yeah, the Fight for the Forgotten Foundation is a huge, uh, it, it's a fantastic organization. This guy is crazy, though. He goes to the Congo, helps put in these wells. He's gotten malaria three times doing this and currently has a um, parasite in his body that they don't like, they don't know what it is. They, it's undiscovered. Um, he contracted it in the Congo. They have no idea what it is. It's they think it might be in his brain even. Um, it, it's like really affects his like his body in a ton of different ways. He said he just gasses out super easily when he's training now. Um, I think it's part of the reason he's not fighting anymore right now. But I mean, he he even still with this going on, he still goes back and he still helps. And uh, I think he just deserves a shot. It's a guy that I I don't think a lot of people know because he's fighting for Bellator. But Justin Wren is. Uh, an unbelievable dude and he definitely deserves some credit that's actually a good contribution i like that pick a lot yeah while we're on the topic of charity i'm not sure have you seen this uh let's get ian walking again campaign no i've never even heard so um so this has been promoted a lot by the guys over at severe mma ian (laughs) coughlin's a professional irish mma fighter and he was training for a, a fight when he suffered a horrific accident training in july of 2021 that left him paralyzed so basically, there's a GoFundMe out there uh, with a goal of $73,000 that has been reached. Actually, it's at 74,000 pounds now. Um, top donor, by the way, is Conor, Conor McGregor. He had a $10,000 donation. So he is going to have the funds necessary to get um, a, I believe it's a stem cell surgery uh, to try and get some of that ability back. Wow. Um, yeah, the, the 
costs are going to cover Ian's stem cell and HAL treatments, which will cost $73,000 total. Um, the doctors are confident they'll have Ian walking again, but at bare minimum, the treatment will help him to regain some independence. So that's, there's another feel good story for you there. Um, and of course, keep your eye on that because you know how medical costs work, man. It, it, right. Something could go wrong. Um, all, I hope not, but you know, um, just keep your eye on that. It's a good story to, to hear about. Ian Coughlin's a, a great guy uh, from all I've heard. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a great story to talk about. He, he said he, he got that injury in training. He was training for a fight and uh, in 2021 in July, and he was paralyzed as a result of it. Yeah. That is bizarre. I've never heard of anything like that. That's it's, crazy. It is bizarre. Um, yeah, but uh, tragic story, but it seems like he's got the funny that he needs at this point. So good signs for Ian Coughlin, and hopefully we get a positive update on his surgery as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now on to our final topic, the walkout of the year. Um <laughs> I do. I have a funny feeling we might have the same one here as well. I have two. I have one, uh, just a fun one that I liked, and then uh, one that's more of the intensity of the walkout. Um, so for my first one, this is my fun one. Uh, I have my man Chris Barnett again. I thought he had a fucking awesome walkout when he came out. <laughs> he was dancing like crazy. He was having a great yeah. time. Uh, just an awesome personality. He's such a fun guy to root for. And then, of course, he goes in, does this crazy athletic spinning wheel kick knockout uh, weighing like 260 something pounds or whatever the fuck he was um yeah i I loved his walk i thought it was hilarious um and then for my second one uh as far as intensity goes i have conor mcgregor at ufc 264 i think that it was just the amount of pressure on conor uh john annick said a best friend of the podcast uh there is nothing quite like a conor mcgregor walkout in all of sports uh i think that still rings true whether you like him or not he just he encapsulates what it means to be a fighter and the personality. And um, he just, it, it's all eyes on him, no matter where he is at any time. And all the pressure that was on him in this fight, uh, because you look at Dustin uh, and Dustin's has this crazy rain going on of just this tear through the division, uh, riding a huge win streak and, um, or maybe not a win streak, but a, a lot of incredible wins. He's building his way to a title shot coming off the knockout of Connor. Um, all the stuff that went back and forth between the two fights. These guys went from buddy-buddy to just mortal enemies. Um, Connor telling him he's going to kill him in the octagon, all these different things. And then it's a matter of can Connor still fight at a high level and can he still win and get a win over a massive opponent? Um, Well, you can say what you want about the fight. I I, I think a lot of people, for whatever reason, I'm really – I'm honestly putting my bias aside. I, I don't think Connor was winning any part of that first round. I, I think maybe for a little bit at the beginning, but I think Dustin was really dominating him for most of the fight, but before the leg break, that aside, it's just the walkout, the intensity of the walkout. Um, I, I think Joe Rogan put this best. I believe it was this fight against either Chad Mendez or Jose Aldo. I can't recall exactly what it was, but he, he said something as Connor was coming up to the steps of the cage and he says, something along and I'm paraphrasing few human beings. Like he says, the immense pressure that's on this young man, every time he walks, makes us walk to the octagon is immeasurable. Few human beings in human history will ever feel a feeling as the feeling that Conor McGregor is feeling right now, as he walks to this octagon and puts his hands out and walks around and gets ready for a fight. And I think that's absolutely true. I, I don't think there's anyone. Um, there's been high intensity walkouts before uh, Chris Weidman comes to mind. Uh, any Brock Lesnar walker comes to mind, but as far as the pressure on a UFC fighter in the history of the company, I, I don't think anyone can 
really come close to what Conor McGregor has felt. And for the most part of his career, he's he's stepped right up and he's talked his shit. He said what he's going to do and he's completely delivered on everything. And he encapsulated a fan base, an entire nation. And you have the, the pressure of not only all your fans, but an entire nation behind you in Ireland. And every time he's delivered, I, I can't imagine the pressure he feels every time he walks out there, but he just deals with it so well. So I thought that that was the most intense walkout of the year and uh, it had the most, uh, the most meaning behind it. All right, John, you had two picks, so I'm going to one-up you. I have three. You um, son of a bitch. My first two are not UFC walkouts. I'm going to steal this okay. pick from my boss, Sean Sheehan. Shout out to him over at Severe MMA. Peter Queeley's walkout against Patricky mm. Pitbull in their rematch yep. for Bellator Dublin. Uh, if you recall, this was the walkout where they played Zombie in, uh, in Dublin, which is a huge song with a lot of meaning for those mm-hmm. Irish people. It talks about the tragedies between the conflicts of Northern Ireland and um, the Republic of Ireland. And, what an award, and Right, it did win an award. Um, he, uh, it just, it just goes to show, like the Irish really do have the best fans in combat sports, and we saw this a lot when Conor was on his way up, and they traveled in droves from from Ireland to Las Vegas is not a short flight at all. That's <laughs> that's upwards of ten hours. That's such a long distance, um, and they would pack out the MGM Grand seemingly every single time he was there. They were just. Yeah. Irish flags all over the place. Like that's, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that ever again in, in sports, to be quite honest. Like they traveled so well for that. Um, and so when they have an event and it's a big time main event, co-main and main event, because James Gallagher is also a huge star over there on home soil, they have such an advantage being the home team. And Peter Quilly has all those fans behind him. I can only imagine what it must've been like to be Patricky Pitbull standing in the, in the cage, waiting for Quilly to come out and hearing the whole crowd sing this song in unison at the top of their lungs. It was, it's incredible. And if you really want to get a feel for what it was like in the arena, selfish plug here, severemma.com has the full walkout in person. I think Sean recorded this one. Um, so go check that out. We really get a feel for what the crowd felt yeah. like, how loud it was in there. Cause I really don't think that if you watch a walkout on TV, that the cameras broadcast do it any justice. I think you got to get like a recording from someone inside the arena to understand how loud it really gets in there. Um, my second one is from the same event. James Gallagher walked out to Freed from Desire, which is famously known as Tyson Fury's favorite walkout song. Um, the Jimmy show, as they call it over there, was in full effect. He really loves the crowd. You can see him really build up the, the intensity in there. He kind of waves on the crowd to get louder as he walks to the cage. He loves the show and he loves all that comes with it. He owned that, and although both him and Queeley lost that night, their walkout spoke volumes. And I'm going to agree with you on this third one. Conor McGregor's walkout at UFC 264 was just as intense as it gets. And I can tell you, as someone who was in there, I was sitting at the press ledge that they call it, I think, in T-Mobile Arena. It's the top, top level. I, I don't know if you ever noticed, but they have, like, the Vegas yeah, strip yeah. Yep. Up, up top. It's really, like, up there. And that's where they have the speakers playing the music. And I'm recording this with the camcorder. And the speakers are blaring the, you know, the, uh, what is it? Hypnotized oh, by Biggie. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Duh, duh, duh. And it's so loud in your ears. And when you watch the video, you can barely hear the music over the cheers. And that's really like where you can kind of tell how loud it is. Like, I can't even remember a time I was ever at a sporting event that it was louder than that. It was incredible. You know, even though Connor is maybe not having the best performances of his career as of late, 
the passion is still there. The desire to see him win is still there. And like you said, the intensity walking into that fight was so much to prove, so much on the line. And he is as calm, cool, and collected as ever. You know, like you said, I don't think anyone's ever going to be able to really understand how much pressure is on that guy's shoulders. Maybe a few guys in the world have ever experienced something like that, but just that moment in itself, I'm so lucky to have been there. And of course, another selfish plug on severe MMA's YouTube channel. You can <laughs> see that video as well to really get a full feel. Um, that I think is the UFC walkout of the year, but it was yeah. topped in my opinion by Peter Queeley's entrance at Bellator 271. Yeah, Excuse absolutely. me, Bellator 270. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's it's like I, I've said it before. Um, I'm not sure I've said it on the podcast before. I've definitely said it to people though. Um, I, I, everyone knows if you do know me, you know how big a, a sports are like to me in my life, and it, I've been to. Every, I've been to Sox, Celtics, play uh, Red Sox, or Patriots, Bruins, everything. I've been to Patriots playoff games. I've been to a bunch of Bruins playoff games. Um, nothing compares to the UFC in person. It, it, they, they, nobody does it like the UFC. It's, it's the most insane atmosphere. Um, even on a card that's uh, – I, I was at UFC 220. That was in Ghana versus Stipe, the first fight uh, at, the, at the Garden. It, it's like – when people talk about an atmosphere having electricity in the air, it, it truly is like, it, it, it is what like, you don't really understand it until you feel it. And that's really what it is. Like there is a buzz in the air the entire time. It, it started when I believe the first prelim fight, the, the first punch of the entire event was a knockout. Um, I don't recall what fight it was, but I could go back and look it, it, And right from the opening bell, you have that happen. And then there is a legitimate buzz in the air the entire time. Everyone's on edge. What's going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a title on the line, um, and multiple fighters from Boston fighting. It, it was insane. It's absolutely insane. No one does it like the UFC. Truly nobody does it like the UFC. It's absolutely incredible. So you owe it to yourself. If you have any chance whatsoever to get to a UFC event, even if it's a fight night or whatever, go and do it. It's, it's fucking absolutely incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unmatched. Yeah. And I always say the same thing. Like I've, like you said, I've been to Sox, Celtics, Bruins, whatever it is the ufc is the best show in sports it's just yeah. like when the when a big fight happens or like when a big punch lands it's the oh like the crowd's reaction yeah. to everything is it's incredible um and by the way that punch that you're referring to gleason tebow and um islam Mahachev, islam won be a first round uh ko less than a minute into the fight so well, there, you, there go. you go that's what that's about so actually that's interesting because gleason tebow <laughs> gave habib his toughest fight and islam got it out of there in less than a minute so yeah so how good is Islam Mahachev? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what that means. <laughs> that's what that means. By the <laughs> rules of fighting. Yeah. Um, so that'll wrap up our superlatives. Um, I do have a fantasy fight for you, and then we can wrap up the episode here. Um, okay. This one, not to toot my own horn, but I think this might be the best one we've had yet. Whoa. Uh, yeah, I really Better do, than I, you fighting Kamaru Usman? Uh, I barely edges it out yeah barely. okay all right um, this one i actually got like excited thinking about this steven wonder boy thompson versus the dragon leota machida oh shit that is actually a really good one <laughs> right uh what weight are they fighting at um let's go to wonder boy so 170 170 yeah okay. Ah, uh, okay. 
Um, so like in this scenario, is Lyoto Machiro like sucked out because he's like a career 185 or fought at 205 in his second um, half of his career? Like he's let's just say you can make the weight and it's fine. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> he's not um, he's not struggling to make the weight. Damn, okay. This is actually a really good fight. Both guys are, you know, I think these Some are the two best strikers pro- ever. Two of the best, I think the two best true karate practitioners yeah. in the history of the ufc like you know there's a lot of guys who mix up some karate techniques really well but these guys really made it their main style and they really brought that to the limelight in the ufc like no one else really had oh man that's tough man because i mean i would have to go with i think wonder boy if they're both in their primes is that what yep. we're assuming because yep. i think that Lyoto's style is more so striking to defend um grappling like because i think that you know and steven wonderboy thompson's had this problem as well but he kind of just defends that with not as much of the aggressive striking but really good takedown defense yep um leota would be finishing guys as they come in for the shot you know we've seen i think he finished vitor with a, a front kick and that yes, was the second time he's been finished by front kick because Anderson did the same way to him yep um Man, like Leota was known as the wrestler killer, right? Like he was if there was a really good wrestler who would think he has a good night against a striker, like Leoto had the style to beat all those guys. Um, and some of his best wins, like look at it's like Randy Couture, Dan Henderson. Um, even in the second half of his career, although it was a withered chill son, and that still you know goes to show that he has the style to beat wrestlers. Um, I think that if he's in a straight up stand-up battle with Wonder Boy Thompson. Wonderboy is more used to being able to outpoint guys not having to deal with the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think his style is more so catered to beating wrestlers as Leoto Machito's was. So I'm going to give the slight edge to Steve Wonderboy Thompson, but I will say, I don't think either of these guys would be knocked out. I think they're both too good to put themselves in dangerous positions against guys with similar styles. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that it would be a extremely entertaining stand-up karate battle. And I think I would give the edge to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Yeah, um, I gave the edge to Wonderboy Thompson as well, uh, just because uh, of the size. I know they're very similar in size. I think that Stephen uh, Thompson just is so good at attacking from the outside, and he hides his kick so well and things like that. Um, and Machida, he, he's obviously fucking unbelievable. We are all love that. But I, I just think that Thompson just has that very slight advantage on the feet, uh, two of the best karate's of all time, if that's the word for it. Um, it I, I, yeah, like what you said, it's just the way that um, the way that Thompson attacks and the way that Leota takes a more defensive and kind of like wait for the right shot. Kind of, I, I don't even know how to word it really. I, I just, I, I, for whatever reason in my head, I just see Thompson winning the fight. I, I don't know if I can even really explain it, uh, but yeah, it, it just. I was thinking, what are the like non-traditional styles now? And I was like, oh, karate. And I was like, okay, who's a karate? Well, Thompson comes to mind. And then I was like, oh, fuck, Leota Machida. He was karate. And right. It just I was like, oh, damn. I don't even like know. Like, I have no idea. Like, that just might be like a kung fu movie where they're just parrying each other's shots the whole time perfectly. And it just ends in a draw because no one can light a punch. Um, like yeah. in the old karate movies where they just kind of like move their hands around like yeah, just, with like their forearms like, yeah exactly yes exactly <laughs> just anything that comes at them they just perfectly parry it uh yeah so yeah i, I don't know i i think i it just in my head like my gut just goes with one or more yeah i'm gonna agree with you but i will say i think that if it's gonna be by finish i'd pick leota machida 
I believe he has more finishes than Wonder Boy. Um, I have he has a ground advantage, like he has a good background jujitsu. Although I'm willing to agree with you that this probably isn't going to go to the ground. I think they're just going to try and test each other's stand up. But um, I, I'd say that there's more of a potential for Leo to get a finish here, whether that be KO or submission, than Wonder Boy. But I'd still have Wonder Boy winning the fight. Yeah, I'm trying to find it here. I don't think I'll be able to find it in time, but I, you, you would probably know better than I was. Well, better than I would how many finishes he has. Um, oh, if it, oh man, you really, if, it, if there's a fin- I, I think I'd have to go with Wonder Boy if there's a finish. Um, and just because of how well he hides that out, that the high head kick, <clears throat> we saw it in like we've seen it in a couple fights. The way he strikes weird from the side in the karate stance. And then attacks from the outside and hides the kick right above the shoulder or right behind the shoulder. I I can't remember a guy who does it better than him. And uh, I don't know. But then again, I can't like see Leona really taking the bait either. So I don't know. I think it'd be a fucking insane fight. Yeah. And that's kind of my point. I don't think either of them really take the bait. I think they're both too smart with their fight IQ to actually, you know, fall for anyone's traps in that fight. But real quick, I found that. Steven Thompson has seven wins by KO, one by submission. And Leoto has 11 wins by KO, two by submission. Although oh, wow. he does have 26 wins, 11 losses compared to Wonderboy's 16 wins, six losses. A much longer career uh, for Machida. But I still think the point stands. Like, he's proven to have multiple ways to finish somebody. Whereas maybe Wonderboy has it. And Wonderboy's last finish came in 2016 against Johnny Hendrick, which, of course, we can also agree on is not the best version of Johnny Hendricks possible. I remember he was looking much less of himself towards the end of his career. Yeah, uh, Jake Ellenberger was the winning, it was a spinning wheel kick right before that. That's a great win. I'm not going to take anything away from there. And then his last one before then was 2014 against Robert Whitaker, who did not do his best work at 170, moved up to 185, became a much better fighter. But I'm not taking anything away from Wonderboy Thompson. I just think that the finishing ability is more so something that Leo Machida has. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that's going to wrap up for this episode. Uh, Theo, do you want to plug all your stuff? Yeah, so just uh, check out Severe and May. I've had an incredible year with Severe. We've done a lot of great work back and forth. Um, and we excited to see what 2022 holds. If you want to see uh, any of their content, you can go on the Severe MMA YouTube page. You can find them at severemma.com. Uh, on all social media, they're going to be found at Severe MMA. And also, if you're a fan of the In the Clinch podcast and, I guess, the Octagon Hour podcast, yep. you can find the Severe MMA podcast on all platforms where podcasts are available. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like we said at the top of the show, the final episode of In the Clinch is uh, now concluding, and we will be moving to the Octagon Hour. Uh, so I'm hoping this – I think I'll – I'm still setting up the page right now. Um, once it's all finalized and stuff, and we have our, our Apple links and Spotify and stuff like that, I will throw this episode on that page as well and tweet out that and everything like that. But definitely go looking for that. I'll make it very well known um, when that page is up and live and ready for you guys to check out the content there. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's been a great year of... Uh, We've had an unbelievable year of fighting. Uh, it's been a solid year for the show. I think we got, uh, not including me and my brother's show, I think we got just over 1,000 plays, which is crazy. It's pretty good. Um, Did we really? I believe so. If I'm looking at the uh, – I can actually oh. – let me see if I can pull it up right now. I have to sign Jeez. out of the current account. Man, I'm taking this more seriously. Yeah, let me see real quick. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull this up live real quick. 
Um, live radio, live radio, live radio. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, it's been a fucking great year, and um, yeah, uh, we got so on the page, boys back home, one thousand eight hundred and forty-nine all-time plays. Uh, and me and my brother had a little, just a pause for about three or four months. So I'm just kind of guesstimating that this podcast alone carried most of that. And I'd say we're probably around a thousand plays. So wow. it's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Looking to grow it. Um, I, I, that's why I'm excited to go solo and see how we do just as our own podcast on our own. And we have big plans coming up this next year. But uh, I fucking like, I just love doing the show. It's, it's fun. Even if it's getting two listens or if it's getting 40 listens, it, it doesn't really matter to me. It's, it's fun to talk fun of me and just get, but it, it, otherwise people that don't give a shit about this have to listen to me talk about it all the time. So uh, it's fun to get it out there and talk like that. So it's been a crazy year and we thank you guys uh, big time for listening. Everyone who listens in, uh, it, it, it does show if you have uh, multiple time listeners and we average around uh, like 13 per episode of people who listen multiple times in a row. So it, it's been fucking awesome. Just, even if it's a small number, it's cool to have an established audience and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And John, you know, we didn't really talk too, too much. I don't think we really even knew each other before we started doing this yeah, and late no. spring this year, but yeah, it's been a great time, man. I've had a bunch of fun doing this. Um, it's giving me also like another opportunity to try and practice my skills, trying to pursue this full time. You know, it's, it's good to practice, you know, your, your on the mic skills and, you know, it's also fun to just talk about the fights, man. We've had a great run for it, whether that be, um, beaming in from Vegas or New York to do a podcast late at night, or, you know, we're talking about a fight night that we didn't really like. We got to fill show time by talking about ridiculous circumstances. You know, we, we had a good time, man. And, uh, I'm excited to see what 2022 holds for us our first full year as an established duo so can't wait yeah definitely um and just to cap off at the end me and my brother are doing our podcast it's back uh boys back home still on the same page where you're finding in the clinch right now and uh we're super excited to get into season two of that and all that stuff we have a bunch of fucking silly shit playing for that too so definitely keep giving that a listen um all right so that'll do it for the in the clinch boys and we will see you in the octagon hour peace